Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Good morning to you. Hoping we're finding each and every one of you in good form. John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. Listen out for your Q2 text or WhatsApp on 0862-103-103 because we have another free marquee free ticket Thursday today here on uh, C103, C103 and I've got a pair of tickets to get you to see the one and only Chris Christopherson and Chris Chris Christopherson is playing uh, live at the Marquee and your chance to win those uh, tickets. The Live at the Marquee concert is on next Sunday nights. So it's this weekend again with the t- with any of these competitions please only enter if you are a family member or somebody you know is able to go along to the concert on Sunday because there is nothing more disappointing than to give away tickets and A they don't get used or else you'll see them somebody trying to sell them on. It always really frustrates and annoys me so please only enter if you're able to go along on Sunday night to see the one and only Chris Christophus and he is going to be incredible live at the Marquee next at Sunday night uh, so you listen out for your cute call or cute text or WhatsApp and then we will invite you on to answer a very simple question with that's always related to the Live at the Marquee gigs and if you get the question right a pair of tickets to see Chris Christopherson will be yours. Now on the programme today we're continuing to discuss the fallout from the anacresial murder trial and still lots and lots of commentary in the paper today and you're probably if you've been listening to our news bulletin this morning uh, you will have heard that the Gardaí are warning the public that they could face up to three years in jail for identifying any child who is in court proceedings and this was of course yesterday images started to circulate of boy A and boy B who've now been convicted of the killing of Anna Creasel and in the aftermath of the verdict there was various different images of the two boys went up online and started to uh, circulate on social media what really worries me I saw one photograph of what's alleged to be boy A and uh, boy B and I straight away looked at it and thought they look older than 13, 14 year old boys. Now I know, you know, you can have boys that look older, but I don't know. And my worry and the real danger, I mean, you know, these boys have a right to their anonymity, but the obvious other real danger is that people who 
photographs of young lads who are not boy A and not boy B are going to circulate and the effect that it could have on those other boys' lives could be absolutely detrimental and that would be another big worry of this outside of the fact that these boys are protected by law. So yesterday afternoon the Gardaí released, released a statement in which, they, in which they warned that identifying children in any court proceedings and sharing images of juveniles before the courts can result in a large fine or imprisonment. The statement released through the Gardaí Press Office now didn't specifically reference the Anacresian murder trial but once you know we saw this press release coming out we knew exactly what they were talking about. The pun- Punishment on a summary conviction, by the way, can result in a maximum fine of €1,500 or 12 months in prison and then conviction of indictment. A person can receive a fine of up to €10,000 or a maximum prison term of three years or you could end up getting both. So if you think, uh, should nothing will happen here, everyone's sharing this picture, I would say to you, think again. And the judge... Justice Michael White is taking all of this very, very seriously. Facebook and Twitter are to be brought to court today to answer allegations of contempt of court over the fact that photographs have been published and the content identifying the two boys in the Anna Creagel uh, case. Justice Michael White directed representatives of Facebook and, director, and representatives of Twitter to come to the Central Criminal Court today after he was told about the pictures and that other material was circulating and what was being described as willful disregard of the law and court orders which banned the identification of the boys. So we will wait to see uh, what comes out of that case uh, today and allegations of contempt. And I know Facebook and Twitter say they are doing their very best. I mean, Facebook said that as soon as they became aware that there were photos up they uh, and that they knew it was vi- the violating what they say is their community standards and the local law. They applied their photo matching technology to prevent the content from being reshared on Facebook and Instagram and, uh, and our messenger. And they say they will continue to remove the content from the uh, platform. And with, as soon as it gets taken down, somebody else has it and it gets shared. It's just, it shows the dangerous side, doesn't it, of social media. As soon as something goes up on social media, it is there forevermore. You might innocently share something on Facebook and you never know when it will come back and could come back to haunt you. And in this case, these boys, the images they say, were shared quite a lot yesterday on social media. Haven't spotted them this morning. So maybe what Facebook are doing, particularly with this photo matching technology, they will have stopped it. But I'll, I'll be, we will, with keen, with keen interest, it'll be, I'll be interested to see what the judge has to say uh, today. And uh, also, we will be discussing later on the Anna Creasial case with regard to young people accessing pornography because one thing that came out since the verdict was handed down evidence that wasn't presented before the jury has now been released and is has, is out in the media and I think one of the pieces of what 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 the prosecution wanted to use against boy A was the fact that he had two mobile phones and when they went through the history and looked what was downloaded and looked what was on the two mobile phones there was over 12,000 images of pornography and some seemingly, some of the images were quite uh, shocking and this was on you, you, you think this is on a 13 year old boy's phone 
and obviously that then has raised the whole issue of young people being allowed to access pornography and do we need to look at what young people are accessing online and how they're accessing it. I mean, most of those pornographic materials should not be available to anybody under the age of 18. And if a 13-year-old boy can have accumulated that amount of pornography by his, you know, by the time he's 13, I mean, you even wonder how long did he have a phone? When did he start accumulating all of this images and, and video? Just truly shocking. So we're going to talk about that. And I know it got raised in the doll yesterday in Leo Varadkar. Uh, was questioned about it and there's a model that they're using in the United Kingdom. Do we need to seriously look at that model in the United Kingdom and do we need to start protecting all of our young people and stop them accessing this pornographic material? And yesterday when we were discussing the case, one of the questions that came in and that people commented on the most was the sentence and would would these boys get a life sentence for the murder of uh, Anna Creagel. And the omission of any specific reference in Irish law to what sentence the court should impose on a child who commits murder points simply to the rarity of the crime. We have a Children's Act which dates from 2001 and in that act and that deals part of that act deals with children who end up before the courts but murder isn't mentioned and it's just for that reason. It is so rare that a child is going to go before the courts for murdering murdering somebody. But anyway, under the Children's Act of 2001, it says detention for any period for any crime must be a measure of last resort. So the judges have been told you look at everything else and if there's nothing else suitable, then you look at detention. Before making a detention order, the court must seek a detailed report on the child from a probation officer and where a judge imposes a period of detention exceeding three years, the reasoning behind it must also be divulged in open court. And we know that Judge... Michael White has asked for probation reports but he's asked for a lot more reports as well. He's asked for uh, psychology reports, he's asked for reports from the school, he's asked for reports for boy A, boy B's parents to write reports. So there's going to be a lot of, he'll have a lot of reports to read through before he decides is detention the way to go and if it is detention, how long is he going to sentence both boys for? Will he sentence both boys equally? Will he give more to one than the other? All of that has to be reflected on. The only restriction on a judge in deciding a period of detention however, is that it cannot be longer than the prison term that would be given for an adult of the same offence. And of course as we know, we mentioned this yesterday life sentence for murder by adults is mandatory in this country. So if these lads had been 18 when they did what they did to Anna, then this, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. They would have been handed down a mandatory life uh, sentence. So it does mean that the judge, though, has the discretion to impose a life sentence on both boys if he so wants to. And the Children's Act of 2001, the only mention of murder in the Children's Act is in the content context of the murder of a child. It's, it's very hard to fathom that a child could, under the age of 18, could murder uh, 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 anyone. But that's not to say that there hasn't been murders 
by people under the age of 18. Two were given, and it's since 2001, since the Children's Act was passed, uh, two were given a life uh, sentence, but one of them was 19 at the time of the sentence of a murder that was committed when he was 17. He went on to appeal it, but he did he lost the appeal. And then there was another boy was given a life sentence but with the condition that it would be uh, reviewed after 10 years. And after the review, he was then given a release date of two years later. So instead of it being a life sentence, he served 12 years uh, instead. And we wait for sentencing of boy A and boy B for Anna Creasial is on July 15th. But as I mentioned yesterday, I have a feeling that that's only going to be the beginning of the process. And I know for all of the families involved here, but in particular Anna Creasial's parents, you would like and hope that they could get closure on that day, that the sentence would be passed, that they would be happy with the sentence that's passed, if, they, if that's the right word uh, to use. Because if it gets dragged on and if it's back again, it's just, I, I just think they need closure. It, it, it was May of, the 14th of May last year, 2018, that Anna was so brutally murdered and you know we're into the second year now you just you think for them to get on to try to somehow somehow get on with their lives you would like it all done and dusted and almost like a line drawn in the sand under it but anyway we wait for July 15th but we will talk later on in the programme after 11 o'clock about do we need to stop young people from accessing pornography would would it in some way help to keep our young people safe? We're also going to chat with the Society of St Vincent de Paul. They are saying more needs to be done to help the working poor. They are working more and more now with people who are doing an honest, hard day's work. They're heading out to work every single day, but they still are just do not have enough money to pay all of the bills. And therefore, then they have to turn to the likes of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. We're also going to speak about a worrying stat that I saw, that we are seeing deaths from asthma in this country. And if you look in other countries, other developing countries, there is decline and there has been over a number of years a decline in the number of deaths from people with asthma. But in this country, it's rising. And that's to do with the way we deal with asthma. We seem to deal with it from a crisis point of view. When somebody has a crisis, somebody has an asthma attack, they'll end up in the accident and emergency department. They'll end up at the doctor and they'll end up becoming very unwell. And unfortunately, some of the people who get a very bad asthma attack can die. And it's just, it's for something that is a treatable condition, it should not be happening. So we're going to speak with the Asthma Society on the programme uh, today. We'll preview the Ironman event. Big, big weekend in Yall this weekend. There's going to be so much focus and attention on uh, Yall. And Yall is such a, a gorgeous spot. It's great for the town. I know a lot of excitement in advance of the Ironman. So we'll preview it uh, today on the programme. We'll have a member from Garda Corner join us for Crime File and uh, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will join us in the final hour of the programme so you can get your pet questions in for Jane, please. Now, uh, Pat in from Oi, actually there's a number of different issues coming in over the phone. Let me just get to one of them. This is from Pat in from Oi. Um, he is bringing up a topic that we discussed here in the programme. We were talking about old age pensioners having to pay for their television licence and this is a proposal on something that's happening in the United Kingdom. They give free television licence to people over the age of 75 and uh, it's and it's, it's given out by the BBC and the BBC are removing that free TV licence for over 75s and it led to a discussion 
on this programme. Is it something we should look at in this here in Ireland? At the moment, it's the Department of Social Protection that give out the free TV licence. But some people were saying that RTE need money and that maybe old age pensioners should pay for their TV licence, €160, and give all of that money collected to RTE. The theory being that they're short on money, they're always looking for money and maybe they could produce new programmes. Well, Pat Infamoy said he listened to that discussion with interest and then he was watching RT this week. He reckons that anyone who has paid, I'm assuming he's including himself, anyone that has paid for a TV licence, we should be getting some kind of a rebate from RTE and when when we asked why he said would you look at all of the repeats that are on TV at the moment he reckons over the last week or so 60% of the shows every single evening has been a repeat so he feels at this stage RTE owe money back to the people that have paid their TV licence and actually it's funny I don't know whether it was Tuesday Monday or Tuesday I got a text in from a listener saying that we on the programme had been mentioned on a prog- on a TV programme that had been shown the night before and it was a repeat of Father Tony Cook's programme. Do you know the priest who did the walk? It was this time last year, it was last summer. He did a fundraising walk last summer called Walk While You Can. He had been diagnosed the previous, oh it was last year actually he was diagnosed with motor neuron disease and Father Tony decided to, while he was still able to, he'd walk around the country. Now he had to get pushed for a lot of it in his wheelchair, bless his heart. But there was a film crew followed him and they took them 26 days. They walked from, I don't know where they started out, but I know they ended up arriving in uh, Ballydehob and he raised over 700,000 for the Irish Motor Neuron Disease Association and we spoke to him as just he was coming into Cork and he was just the loveliest, loveliest man. And then there was a television programme made about it, an RT documentary called Walking the Walk is what the RT documentary was called. And uh, that was shown again on TV the other night because somebody said, oh, I saw you mentioned on a programme last night. And I was like, God, I remember watching it the first time it was shown. It's been shown a couple of times already. And then I flicked over, whether it was last night or the night before, there was a programme on rubbish and separating of rubbish and recycling and all of that. And I was looking forward to the programme because I saw it teed up. And then I sat down and said, I've seen this already. So yeah, they seem to use the summer months. Is, is it just the summer months that there's a lot of repeats? I don't know if... Pat's figure of 60% is it's as high as that but if others notice that that it just seems to be on RTE all repeats and I know we're into the summer season and is that all we're going to get for the rest of the summer it's just all repeats it's maddening if that be the case as part of their pre-budget submission this week the Society of St Vincent de Paul say in work poverty is an emerging issue for the people that the society assists to chat about this submission called investing in a just society I'm joined from the Society of St Vincent de Paul by Caroline Fahey who is their head of uh, social justice Good morning to you, Caroline. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. Now, uh, people associate poverty with unemployment. Mm-hmm. But your members are saying that is simply not the case. Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing now, I suppose, and it's very welcome, is a huge increase in the numbers of people with jobs. So unemployment has fallen an awful lot since the recession. But what we're seeing now, and possibly as a result of that, is that more people who are maybe engaged in low-paid or precarious work are now coming to us for help. Because, unfortunately, a job doesn't always guarantee that you're going to have uh, enough of an income to lift your family and your household above the poverty line. But the, we've got, you know, the, the government will say the family income supplement uh, mm-hmm. is there. Does that not help top up 
low-paid workers, oh, particularly with families. And it's, such, and it's such, such an important support that really is vital for an awful lot of families who are in work on low incomes. Um, and one of the things that we're looking for in our pre-budget submission is to make that support a little bit easier for one-parent families to, to access. Um, at the moment, you have to be working 19 hours per week, whether you're in a couple household or a lone parent household, in order to qualify for that payment. And we're suggesting that if they reduce the hours requirement a little bit for lone parents who might be working maybe three or four hours a day um, when their children are in school, and that's trying to avoid the high childcare costs, but they might they might only be working for 15 hours a week. If they could access the working family payment or family income supplement, as it was called, and um, that would make a huge difference because actually, um, one of the groups that we're particularly concerned about is working lone parents at the moment. And the high cost of rent in many areas, uh, Caroline, yeah. I imagine that's causing huge problems. Well, that is the, I think the housing issue is, is nearly the key to everything because housing costs are going up and up and up. Um, you know, income from employment can't possibly compete with the increases in, in rent. And so people are falling further and further behind. And the, the housing issue keeps coming up for our members. What we're seeing is people getting the housing assistance payment. Again, hugely valued. People really, really rely on a support like the housing assistance payment. But it just doesn't come close to covering the rent in a lot of cases. So people are paying big top-ups to their landlord. Um, and they're prioritising the rent and they're prioritising the rent. But eventually, you know, they're cutting back on things like food. They're maybe going without other things that couldn't back on the heating, the electricity, uh, juggling their bills, things like that, just to keep the roof over their heads. But eventually that kind of unravels a bit. It becomes unsustainable and people fall into arrears with the landlord. And that's really when things get very, very complicated, very difficult and very quickly people find themselves at risk of homelessness. Um, who might have never imagined that that would be the situation they'd be facing. Yeah, but it's very understandable why they do everything mm-hmm. to try to pay uh, exactly. the rent and keep the room or the roof over their head. I'm assuming you also visit a lot of families living in emergency accommodation, Caroline, the hotels yeah. and the B&Bs. Yeah, and that's extremely challenging. It's so challenging for the families that are involved, first of all. So they're living in very cramped conditions, often without access to cooking facilities, nowhere for children to play or to do their homework. And they can be living in those circumstances for a long time. And one of the things, I suppose, SVP is kind of unique. We visit people in their homes, or we visit people where they're at now, I suppose, in their hotels and that kind of thing. And we can really see the stress and the strain that living in a hotel puts on a family. Even for us, carrying out visits, it's very difficult. We don't want to go to a person's hotel room no. and meet them in the lobby and talk to them about their needs and their, their circumstances, which is very private stuff. And people are having to tell us their stories kind of in a hotel lobby or, or in the hallway of a and b It's very difficult. And again, without delivery of proper, affordable social housing, which is really the, the answer to the problem, um, we're going to see an awful lot more people moving into homelessness, unfortunately. Do we need to go back to what we did in the 50s and 60s when we, we, you know, we undertook large-scale development of social housing at a time when we didn't have as much money as we have today? That's it. I mean, that was the kind. That's an investment, and I really that's what we're talking about in our pre-budget submission is investing in things like that. Now, you know, an awful lot of social housing has a very bad name, but actually, the vast majority of social housing developments have been very successful. You know, they've built great communities. People have had access to secure and affordable homes, um, and they can build their lives around that. We need to see a return to that kind of thinking. You know, um, the social housing developments that didn't succeed largely was because of you know poor planning not, you know, putting people out way out with no transport, no access to public services, no jobs. We don't have to do that. We can actually do it a different way. We can build large-scale public housing uh, for people on a range of incomes, from lower incomes right up to middle incomes. And we have a good mix that way. If we have good facilities and services, it works. If they do it in other countries, and as you say, we did it here in the 50s and 60s when we had nothing. And it really did help to kind of put a foundation in there for the, the improvements in our economy that we saw from then on. 
And living in poverty, particularly Caroline, for children, and, and I'm thinking of those families that you talk about. You know, trying to trying to meet the mum or the dad down in the lobby, and mm-hmm. uh, children being raised in hotel rooms and and in B and Bs. That's having a massively negative impact on the lives of children, isn't it? Oh, hugely, hugely. And I mean, I think it's one in four schools now have uh, primary schools have a child um, in their class, in at least one child in their school who is um, homeless. A lot of those children are travelling long distances to school because school is nearly the one constant they're telling us, you know, we, we need to get the kids into school because that's their familiar place because everything else can be quite chaotic in their lives. And if children are living in these circumstances for extended periods of time, their development is affected. You know, we're looking at teenagers maybe sharing rooms with their parents and their siblings. Everyone is on top of each other. You know, the kind of normal family dynamic is very much uh, interrupted. And it's very difficult. Children's lives are, are short. You know, they kind of, they know what's immediately in front of them. They know things aren't right. They can't have their friends over. They know their parents are under a lot of stress trying to, you know, find housing for them. Um, it's, it's hugely damaging. I think we're going to be looking at the cost of this for a long time to come. Summer months are going to be tricky for a lot of those families, mm-hmm. aren't they, with the children out of school? Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that we do is we kind of, we would help families with things like um, tickets to the zoo or to um, to local things, you know, that are going well on. Kind of li- and we encourage people to use the libraries. We kind of provide them with information about resource centres and summer camps we might help to fund as well because it's so important. They can't be in the hotel room all day long. Absolutely. You know, they need to get out and, and with the school closed, as you say, you need to find something else for them to do. So that's one of the things that our members would do just to try and, um, you know, mitigate the impact of the homelessness because unfortunately we're not able to provide homes, which is really what people need. We can just try and kind of accompany people on that journey and try and support them as best we can along the way. OK, well, let's hope that the government are listening, Carol. And in the meantime, for those whose living standards are good, are they continuing to, do, to donate to the Society of the Vincent yeah, de Paul? we've been so, so fortunate with our donors, even during the recession when everybody was really feeling the pinch and donations did hold up. And I think part of that is because, you know, when people give locally, that money stays locally. Yeah. And it's a way of people to kind of express their solidarity, I suppose, with people who are struggling in their communities. And, and your shops do well, don't they, the Vincent's? The shops, yeah, yeah, the shops are hugely successful. We've yeah. more than 200 now across wow. the country. Wow. And it's, it's a, yeah, it's a real great network. And, you know, part of it is giving people access to, you know, affordable clothes yeah. and things like that. But it is a good place for people in communities to meet and to chat as well. You know, that's what we're kind of looking at the shops as an opportunity to just be another those point of contact. You know, face-to-face contact is really what we're all about. And we do it through the home visiting and we're trying to do it through our retail network as well, just to kind of, you know, because we have a huge amount of volunteers working in our shops as well. And that's an opportunity for everyone in the community to come together. And like, you know, charity shopping is a big thing now as well with with the environmental concerns. It's almost become trendy. That's it, exactly, yeah. People love a rummage. <laughs> yeah, they do indeed. All right, listen, um, continue. Good luck. Your fantastic work that you do uh, to the Society of Vincent de Paul, Caroline, and thank you for joining us on the programme Thanks, today. Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Caroline Fahi. She is, what's her title? Head of Social Justice with the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. 1850-333-103. Some of your texts in on some people agreeing with Pat who wanted to raise the issue of the licence fee and does everybody who paid a TV licence fee are we all entitled to some kind of a rebate because there's so much repeats on the TV Pat reckons this week in the last week or so 60% in the evening time have been repeat programmes Dave says TV licence I often wonder would a photocopy of my existing licence do as I seem to see see 
so many repeats on RTE as clever da- Dave uh, so just repeat your licence I'd love to see the argument you'd have with the TV licence inspector on that one and hi Patricia just listening to you on your programme and you're on about RTE it's all year round I'm afraid this issue of repeated programmes by night especially late hours of night is all programmes you would have seen we see the late ones and into the early hours of the morning you expect to see repeats. I don't mind that. But what Pat is talking about is kind of prime time viewing. So sort of that eight to ten o'clock in the evening time. It's the main time which people sit down and watch TV. And I really don't think we should be be seeing repeats between those, certainly those two hours later on in the night when people are in bed or, you know, overnight. I don't have an issue around that, but it's just a prime time. It does seem to be an issue. Uh, John Paul taking your calls, 1850 Going to take a break and we're back discussing asthma. That's up next. New Irish research shows the current management of asthma is estimated to cost the state 472 million Euro, and that's what it, it was. That's what they reckon it cost the state in two, 2017, prompting calls for a re-evaluation of the crisis-led approach to its treatment. Joining me is the chief executive of the Asthma Society, and that is Sarah O'Connor. Good morning to you, Sarah. Good morning, uh, and and you're welcome. You're welcome. I was shocked, I have to say, Sarah, to read that while asthma debts are falling in many developed countries, they appear to be rising here. That's got to be a huge worry for you. It is. It's a huge concern for us. Um, in 2012, asthma deaths had fallen as far as 39. And um, the most recent figures we have are for 2016, and they've risen back up to um, 63. And essentially, that equates to one person dying from their asthma every six days. So it's very serious. And I suppose that's the most dramatic and tragic um, impact that you can look at in terms of um, asthma and people's asthma not being in control. And is asthma, is it fair to say that asthma is a largely treatable condition? Yes, for most people who have asthma, it's very manageable and very treatable. But actually, for most people who have asthma in Ireland, they don't actually have it in control. So 60% of people don't have their asthma in control. They're not taking their medications properly. They're not taking them when they're meant to. They, their inhaler technique is poor, which means they're not getting the full dose of medicine every time they take it. Um, and correspondingly, then, they think it's normal to have asthma attacks, nighttime coughing, um, to be feeling very unwell, uh, to be very wheezy, um, and for it to impact on their whole quality of life. Now, you've published a report and you're calling for a universal self-management programme. Describe what you mean by that. Um, Well, what we've done is we've looked at other countries who've implemented universal self-management programmes and we we traced our way through five or six of those, ascertained what worked and what didn't. And essentially, uh, the key components of having um, a self-management programme are that every patient with asthma has a written asthma plan. So we have asthma action plans that people can contact us in our office and we'll post them out to them or we can get our asthma nurse to work through it and develop a new asthma action plan for them over the phone. That's no problem. But at the moment, a tiny portion of the Irish population has asthma has an asthma action plan and in reality, it should be every single patient with asthma has that. And then I suppose the second piece that's really important in terms of this programme we're advocating um, is that people have regular medical review. And I'm sure when I say this, your listeners will believe it when, I, when they hear it. Um, what happens is, and this is what our research has shown, is that all of the utilisation of our healthcare resources for people with asthma end up being at crisis level 
and not at planned level. So, for example, the number of out-of-hours GP visits was very, very high. The um, number of emergency room visits was 133,000. That's one every four minutes as a result of asthma. The hospitalizations um, were very high. And in fact, when we looked at it, we, Ireland had the second highest rate of um, hospital discharges as a result of asthma in Western Europe in 2016. So I suppose for us, looking at that, that's all the wrong kinds of healthcare. Instead, it should be the planned piece. It should be a review. It should be a conversation with the GP and the asthma nurse with the patient uh, to check if they're getting the right medication, make sure they can take their inhaler technique. Um, and uh, then I suppose third kind of bucket, um, essentially, if you look at it from the, the self-management programme, is the idea about patient education. So people having more support and bi- uh, guidance, um, more access to things like our free asthma advice line. Um, uh, we've applied for funding at the moment uh, for Salonja Care for uh, WhatsApp and uh, like a prescribed kind of self-promotion programme Great. to go through to people's phones. With all those kind of supports and advice, because if you think about it, in reality, one in five children in Ireland will have asthma at some point in their life. Which you, means 890,000 people in total in Ireland. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And I mean, and, I mean, that figure that I called out at the start, the 472 million euro in, yeah. in, in 2017. I mean, if what you're saying makes so much sense because it would reduce those trips to the hospital, the trips to the A&E, the out of our doctor service. So, so money ultimately would be saved. Money would be saved. And actually, we're not talking about pumping expenditure into this. It's about spending it differently. Yeah. So it's about moving from that crisis piece and instead it's about moving back into control. And this, I mean, this report was undertaken by an external health economics um, expert. And so it, like, it's very much about quantifying the numbers. It looks at the international figures and looking at those, it figures we could, have, we could potentially save between 68 and 102 million if we implement this programme. But aside from that, We've had a number of patient advocates and we've sat down with those over the course of the last number of months to say, well, what would this mean to you in reality? And what it would mean is for patients that they would have an experience like I had three or four years where they went into their GP and, um, well, for example, I went into my GP. I had been having a really challenging 18 months with my asthma and my allergies. Um, He did a full review, recognised that the allergies were really kicking things off in a way we hadn't recognised before. I got my medication reviewed. Um, I, I got kind of good learnings about how the allergy piece affects me, which I never knew before. So I learned about my asthma triggers. Um, and then as a result, I've had no chest infection wow. for three and a half years. Um, I've had no time missed out of work as a result of my asthma. And for me, the summer months, which were an absolute misery with hay fever, are now, I can enjoy the weather as opposed to hating it. Isn't that and fantastic? Yeah, and that, so that's what we want for people. So it's moving it from that emergency crisis, patient really having their quality of life compromised piece, and instead back into this normal life, better life continues. And for lots of people with asthma, with asthma, they have lost any perception of what normal is. They can walk to the bus, they can join the gym, they can work out, uh, they can enjoy outdoor festivals. They can do all of the things that other people can do once they get the kind of bigger control piece right. Yeah, because uncontrolled asthma, of course, also costs the individual. It's, it, oh, I mean, there's yes. a, uh, um, and even with what you were saying, they're not, you, you're blessed if you're having to take time off work. But people listening who've uncontrolled asthma will be saying, yeah, no, I've, I've had to take time off work so often. Oh, and 
for people with asthma, oh, well, I know certainly myself, I would have been anxious if I got a tummy book. I would have been worrying and thinking, oh, but God, I'm definitely going to be off sick during the winter with a chest infection. So I really should go into work today. Oh, bless. Because, yeah, you know, that's I, know. I know. And you hear that from patients all the time when they have a chronic condition like asthma or like COPD. And our asthma um, and COPD advice uncovers both conditions. You hear people really stressed and anxious about how to talk about their illness. Uh, maybe how to communicate to a, a pharmacist or a GP or a nurse about what their symptoms are or how lousy they're feeling. Um, like I can remember when my um, allergies were really challenging, I had to go into my GP and eventually the only way I could really communicate about how serious it was um, was when I said to him, um, I have to go to the cinema where they have the high seats because I can't hold my head up at night um, when I'm that tired uh, because of the fatigue that the allergies were impacting. And so... You know, a lot of the support is about helping the patient be able to communicate that, mm. which is one of the things that our asthma advice line does and our COPD advice line does. Our nurses help people to figure out, well, how, how well am I? How much have I lost sense of what's normal? Um, am I having regular asthma attacks or nighttime coughing or um, is my sleep interrupted? Um, or actually, is my whole life fitting around my asthma or COPD in a really bad way? And that's the kind of piece. And that we want everybody to have access to and that all 380,000 people who have asthma right here, right now in Ireland today, that they can all be helped. OK, and it shouldn't be taking over their lives. The Asthma no. Society, you've got an advice line, one 800 Thank you very much. All right, listen, uh, pleasure to talk to you, Sarah. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. Okay. Uh, Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is the Chief Executive of the Asthma Society of Ireland, Sarah O'Connor. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. My house in Budapest, my, my hidden treasure chest, golden grand piano, my beauty focus, me or oh, you, oh, you, oh, I'd leave it all. My acres of a land, I've achieved, it may be hard for you to stop and believe, but for you, oh, you, oh, I'd leave it all. For you, ooh, you, ooh, I leave it all. And give me one good reason why I should never make a change. And baby, if you want me, then all of this will go away. My many artifacts, the list goes on. If you just say the words, I'll up and run on to you. Ooh, you, ooh, I'd leave it all. Oh, to you. Ooh, ooh, I'd leave it all. Give me one good reason why I should never make a change. Baby, if you want me, then all of this will go. Make a change Baby, if you owe me Then all of this will go away 
my friends and family, they don't understand. They fear they'll lose so much if you take my hand, but for you, ooh, you, ooh, I'd lose it all. Oh, for you, ooh, you, ooh, I'd lose it all. Give me one good reason why I should never make a change. Baby, if you want me, then all of this will go away. Give me one good reason why I should never make a change. Baby, if you want me, then all of this will go away. My house in Budapest, my, my hidden treasure chest, golden grand piano, my beautiful Castillo, you, ooh, you, ooh, I'd leave it all. Oh, for you, ooh, you, ooh, I'd leave it all. C103 Jobs. Construction workers are wanted for shutdowns in Cork. Uh, you can, uh, the start start is early in July. Experienced electricians are wanted for farmer plants. All applicants must hold a valid trade certificate. And a tailor uh, slash dressmaker is wanted for suits distributors in Cork. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs. This is C103. And sorry, I wasn't expecting the jobs uh, feature to kick in uh, there because uh, I was about to mention uh, having off the back of the George Ezra song, uh, George Ezra and uh, Budapest. We opened the hour with and if you're going along tonight to the gig with George Ezra at the Irish Independent Park in Cork. It's the first night of a week of massive gigs at the Independent Park. If you're lucky enough to have uh, tickets, enjoy George Ezra tonight. I say the start of the week, the Walking on Cars are there, the Coronas, Liam Gallagher, Hosier and uh, Lauren Hill. It is going to be a great week. And of course, we're having a great fun already with the Marquee. Live at the Marquee, that's uh, underway here in Cork as well at the moment. And of course, today we have a Live at the Marquee free Ticket Thursday. And we have are giving you a chance to win tickets to see Chris Christopherson live at the Marquee. Now, Chris Christopherson will play live at the Marquee next Sunday, the 23rd of June. At some stage on the programme, I will give you the cue to text or WhatsApp. You text or WhatsApp your name and your address and then you wait. Somebody's going to get a call back. You come on air, you answer a very simple question. If you get the question correct, you'll win a pair of tickets to Live at the Marquee for Chris Christopherson. But as I say, and I emphasise again, the gig is next Sunday, this coming Sunday night. So you you must be free, willing, able and would really love to go along and see Chris Christopherson live at the Marquee. Now, some of your texts and calls coming into the programme. We were talking with the Asthma Society in the last hour Gat on our Twitter account says asthma debts are on the rise in, in this country yet my sister had asthma all of her life until she moved to Ireland it went away in one month and it never returned is it related to areas where people live wonders Gat obviously it is if that's what happened uh, with your sister and then there was a WhatsApp in from someone there's no name on this saying do you need an inhaler if you have mild uh, asthma I can't answer that question. Unfortunately, Sarah O'Connor of the Asthma Society is off the line. What I suggest you do 
is contact the Asthma Society of Ireland on their advice line. They're exactly the type of questions. There's experts on the advice line who will be able to tell you exactly what you should and shouldn't be doing. And you can call them at 1-800. It's a free phone number. one 800 44 54 64. That's the Asthma Society's advice line. one 800 44 54 64 and they certainly will give you all the advice that you need. Now other topics that people are contacting us about Mossy says Hi Patricia I was listening to Caroline Fahey in the last hour speaking to you from the Society of St Vincent de Paul talking about the financial hardships lots of people are going through at the moment. It reminds me of the hardship my aunts and uncles went through withdrawing water daily with a churn and a horse and trap the milking cows by hand. They had hardships back then as well. What I'm trying to say and my point is that there are hardships in every generation only they come in different guises only in modern times in the future will these hardships be eased for sure. And that's from Mossy in uh, Enniskeen. Thank you for that uh, Mossy. And Dan in Ballinhasic was also listening with interest to our piece with VDP and they were, they wanted to highlight and it's part of their pre-budget submission is the working poor and they're dealing with more and more people who go to work every day, but they just can't make ends meet. And actually, to coin the phrase of the working poor, it was Father Sean Healy from Social Justice Ireland who regularly contributes to this uh, programme. I think he was one of the first to ever coin that phrase, the working poor, because we traditionally in the past associated poverty with people who were unemployed, people who lived on social welfare. Once you got a job, you were out of the poverty trap and life was good for you. Unfortunately, that isn't the case today. And Adam Balanhasek said he was reading a piece. Um, this is to do with the number of people that are back at work in this country and we are near to full employment, which in itself is great news. But Dan said he read a report recently that when you look at all of the people working in this country, 50% of them are earning under €30,000 a year. So people are finding it tough. And €30,000 itself sounds like a lot of money and people would think, particularly people who are unemployed, say, God, if I had 30000 I'd be fine. But it's what people are paying out of that €30,000 a year. And it was one of the points that I did put to um, uh, to Caroline from VDP. It's, the post, it's housing. Housing is just crippling people at the moment. And even people who are on the HAP scheme and are being helped out by the government to pay their rent. It's the difference between what the government are paying under HAP and what they're paying to the landlord and top-ups. You're not meant to be paying top-ups. But if you're trying to keep a roof over your head and you have a family and you don't see your children being raised in a hotel room, which so many children are being raised in at the moment, then you will do everything that you can out of whatever money you can to pay the landlord to make sure that you stay in that property and that's putting people in really, really precarious positions at the moment and because of that they don't have enough and that's why they're turning to the local branch of uh, Vincent de Paul. Thank you for your call to 1850 333 103. Tony in Cove was also on to us um, looking for some advice. He says, I have a big box of LPs the old vinyl records even though I say the old vinyl records vinyl records are making a huge comeback at the moment it's almost hip to have a record player to be playing the vinyl records and there's nothing like the sound of a, of a good vinyl record anyway Tony's doing a clear out at the moment so he wants rid of this large box of uh, LPs he said they are he doesn't use them anymore they are all in immaculate condition he's got LPs from John Denver James Last Neil Diamond to name but a few. He wants to know, is there somewhere I can give them to, sell them to, or are people interested in them? Well, certainly any charity shop will take them from you. If you're in charity shops, you will see 
LPs on sale. If you Google places that buy LPs, if you want to make some money for yourself and you don't want to donate it to charity, Tony, it would be a lovely thing to donate it to charity. But if you're trying to make, if you're trying to sell them, because you do say sell them, there are a number of places that, that take second-hand LPs once they're in good good uh, nick uh, as well. If you just do a quick Google search, you'll certainly find them in Cork City. I don't know if there's any place in Cove or anywhere around East Cork that buys second-hand LPs. If so, can you let us know? And we will pass the information on to Tony. Thank you for your call, uh, Tony. Morris, on email to Patricia at C103.ie, says, This week was such an evil week with some of the stories that came through came through to us through the media. We had the cruelty of the guy, the Siakona, against Magella Moynihan. And then, of course, the brutal murder of Anna Creasel. It shows us what a dreadful country we live in. This country is a violent and statistic place, Patricia. Is there any good left in the Irish people anymore, I wonder? Uh, I think there's a lot of good. I really do think there's a lot of good. And I know it's awful when these cases are highlighted and it does make you hang your head in shame and you think, what is wrong with this country? Magella Moynihan, what happened to her happened back in the 80s and that was not that long ago. But times certainly have changed. I mean, there there certainly wouldn't be a case of anybody now losing their job because they had a child outside of wedlock. We don't even use that phrase, having a child outside of wedlock. Thanks be to God. And that the the murder of Anna Creasia, yes, absolutely horrific. But as I mentioned earlier, when we were talking about the Children's Act and the life and the option of a life sentence which will be before the trial judge Uh, we were talking about the Children's Act of uh, 2001 and in the Children's Act of 2001 it gives you know advice to judges on what they can do when a child ends up before the criminal court you know and they talk about whatever they they do everything but uh, except detention detention is a measure of last resort but murder isn't mentioned in it uh, because it's such a rarity of a crime. It's so rare that we would be reporting on something like we have been reporting on the Anna Creasial case for the last uh, few weeks but that's not to say that it it, it it happened unfortunately it did happen in this country but is there any good left in the Irish people? Yes I think there's a huge huge amount of goodness. I think to our very core we're, we are good kind people and there's just a very small proportion of people that are bad and mean and ugly and evil and uh, you'll find them everywhere, unfortunately, but let the good people prevail. Thank you for your email to Patricia at c103.ie. Also, John in Charleville, and this is a worrying one. John is going through cancer treatment at the moment and we wish you luck with your cancer treatment, John. And he's obviously in and out of hospital for checkups and treatments, etc. But he's also taking very strong painkillers at the moment. And he was chatting with a nurse the other day. Now, I'm assuming this was while up at the hospital and you know the conversation about traffic and he was talking about the amount of traffic on the road uh, etc and she said to him did you drive yourself to the hospital and John said I did and she said looking at the meds he was on you need to be very careful in case you get stopped at a checkpoint and she started to explain to him that he's on very strong medication and that if he got stopped at a checkpoint a routine drink slash drug roadside drug test he could be over the legal limit so he was really taken aback shocked to hear this and he'd never heard of it uh, before now I know when you get certain medication it will say on the medication do not drive while taking this 
medication. I know a number of years ago I I did my back in, I, you know, slip disc or something. I don't know what it was in the end, but I was in absolute agony. And whatever medication I was on, I was not, I was clearly told by the pharmacist, do not drive while taking this medication. Now, it was the type of medication you took and you went to bed and you slept. I wouldn't have had a hope of driving at all. So I don't know, John, when you pick up your medication from the chemist, has the pharmacist advised you not uh, to drive so we and we have heard because when the drug testing came in, it was one of the things people were worried about was the medication they, that they were taking. I would suggest that you talk to I don't know who's prescribed the medication for you. Is it your oncologist? Is it your doctor? And maybe during the period of time where you're taking the medication, you won't be able to drive. Now, I don't know. I don't know your story. I don't know if you've got family members who can drive you to and from the hospital, but you need to mind yourself. You have enough to be worrying about with the cancer treatment, but you also need to mind yourself when you're out on the road. I mean, if you're told not to drive while on a medication, that's for a, re- for a reason. You know, they're not just making it up as they go along. So I will be checking back in with your doctor to see what your doctor has to say. And in the meantime, we'll give it out to see if anybody else has advice for John. Has anybody else been told and it's can he's getting treatment for cancer, but it's painkillers, very strong painkillers. Have have you been prescribed them? And while on them, were you told not to drive? I think that's uh, really the question we're asking. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. And a number of people, Pat has really kicked off a debate, and 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 a lot of people have views on this. This is Pat in Formoy who got onto us earlier. Who is he wants a refund on his TV license money? Why? Because of the number of repeats that have been shown on RTE. He claims this is his own scientific research that 60% of what's shown in the evening time on RTE, it's all repeats. John says, RTE is becoming less significant in many people's lives. Most young people today will get their news entertainment online. RTE had to sell off a parcel of land recently. Why? They needed the money to pay redundancy to their staff. The massive salaries, the so-called stars, says John, are outrageous. Advertising revenue is falling off due to the internet. If RTE disappeared, John reckons many people wouldn't worry too much about it. There's a lot of people love RTE and uh, I certainly admit it for the news. It's probably the only programme, my go-to programme every single day, I would have to say. And other than that, I don't know how much more I do. I watch on it. A Cork City listener says, Hi Trish and RTE programmes. They, did, do you know they spent two million refurbishing the Fair City set and yet that show is a load of and I can't use that word on air since of course City listener who is the fan of Fair City two million sounds like a lot of money I, I wasn't aware uh, of that okay some of your whatsapps coming in on this hi Patricia and John Paul on RTE and repeats the timing of the repeats is tied directly to the school holidays both summer and Christmas you really know that RTE are in holiday mode when the main 6pm news cuts back to 30 minutes from a one hour programme and the 1pm news at lunchtime goes from a 30 minute to a 5 minute summary it's no wonder they want to increase the TV licence kind regards says at Dan so would that explain why there's so many repeats on at this time of, of the year they're all in holiday mode and Jim says Patricia I'm glad I'm not the only person who has noticed that RTE are showing no interest in the people who pay the TV licence it's repeat after repeat after repeat I tuned my free view and I found some great film stations last night for example I watched Sony Films and I watched a great movie with Pierce Bosnan called Butterfly on a Wheel 
It was a great film and it was free. That's a suggestion from Jim. Pierce Brosnan, Butterfly on a Wheel, if you're looking for a good movie. And the final one here says, uh, RTE show repeats of repeats of repeats. Plus, if RTE is short of money, shouldn't, why why are they paying such high wages to the likes of Ryan Tuberty and Ray, Dar- Ray Darcy and the likes? I'll name just two. I don't want to give you my name, says a, a texter. OK, that's just some of your calls and comments uh, coming in today. The Taoiseach has confirmed online safety laws will be looked at in the wake of the Anna Creagel murder trial. It follows the revelation that one of the boys convicted of the teenager's murder had a large amount of pornography on his phones. The government is to look at blocking children from accessing, <coughs> excuse me, adult content. Nolene Blackwell is with the Dublin Race Crisis Centre and uh, Nolene joins me. Good morning to you, Nolene. Good morning, Uh, And you're welcome. Now, this call is for us to, there is a call for us to follow the UK plan to block Mm. pornographic material to under 18s. Is is that a move you'd welcome? Yes, it is, if if it works. Uh, But if it was something easy to do, my guess is it would have been done already because uh, more and more people are recognising the access that children, younger and younger children, uh, have to unsuitable material on their uh, smartphones, um, on the web in general. Uh, And what the UK is now proposing to do is something quite new. Now, the legislation that allows it to happen has been in place for two years, but they've put off and put off putting this part of the legislation in place because nobody's quite sure how it is going to work. And the idea is that if you access a website with a commercial porn website on uh, the internet coming from a UK address, from from an internet address which is based in the UK, you will get a blank screen and you will have to show that you're 18 before you can go in onto the site. Uh, Now, How would you do that? Exactly. It's going to be awkward. And so what they've done is they've said that they've set up a whole lot of other sites which will verify age. So other sites are set up which will take passport details or driver license details or credit cards or some information like that and which will then give you a password to enter onto a site. But but we have to wait and see how that operates because one of the companies that is going to organise that age ID is one of the companies that's one of the biggest commercial porn sites which people access in the UK. So... There are issues around what they will do with the material and if people get in and get through, then uh, are they going to be targeted for more specific porn? But here's the thing, if it were to work well and if you could indeed require people to show their, uh, that they're over 18, then it might, it might indeed be useful to some. It's a bit like drink ID cards, don't stop youngsters buying oh, or uh, drinking. Yeah, yeah. But but they stop some people from getting it. And there is the worry that a lot of people will take a chance to see what they can see just out of interest or excitement. And if they were blocked, that they wouldn't go any further and, and that therefore uh, there might be, you know, less access to horrid porn. It won't, what it won't stop, Patricia, are social media sites. And the truth is that an awful lot of the pornographic material that gets shared is not on commercial uh, sex uh, porn sites. 
but on social media. Um, and so there is, uh, and they won't be affected by this because they're not primarily um, a commercial. Yeah, it's only the commercial ones. Now, Leo Varadkar, when this was being discussed in the doll yesterday, um, said that many young people learn about sex through uh, pornography. I mean, is that where we need to start? We need to start educating our young people. It would worry oh, yeah. me that, that somebody would learn about sex through watching pornography. Yeah. And, and the studies show, well, there was a study done in Ireland nearly 10 years ago now, so by UNICEF. And they found that the way that children mainly learned about um, sexual activity and sexual relationships was principally through their friends and then some through school. But after friends, the internet was the next source. When you think back to 2010, though, Patricia, not as many children had smartphones as do now. You mm. know, now you mm. hear of children getting smartphones for their first communion yeah. or something like that. So uh, that wasn't the case 10 years ago. So the chance, oh, and the one that the least way of finding out about it was from their parents. And we actually know that, you know, most teenagers find it difficult to talk to their parents and parents find it difficult to talk to their children. But there is such a huge piece because you can put legislation in place, but there will always be ways around it, particularly tech being the way it is, there'll be ways around it. But the best way for children to understand the unreality of pornography and the harmful effects of it are that they have an alternative. And that involves education. That involves them understanding healthy relationships. It understands them respecting themselves and other people, knowing that what is on porn sites is not reality. They're not real people's bodies and they're not real people's activities and that they are harmful and exploitative a lot of the time. So that's so much more important than putting uh, legislation in place. But it's probably both. It's that you need the stick, you need the legislation, and then you need the carrot. How do you, how do we build young people who have an understanding of sexual activity and of how they themselves are going to be in sexual relationships, which isn't totally dependent on porn. And this is the problem. That, that sexual violence, Cork, ourselves, the other rape crisis centres are regularly coming across people whose sole education has been the internet. And while there are, of course, good resources on the internet as well, it is so easy to get information that is damaging, harmful and dangerous. Yeah, and I think people are still reeling from the from the information that's coming out from the Anna Creatial uh, case. And I think it's just because it was the age of of the boys. Yeah. I mean, we need to have that conversation, you know, about respect. Yes. Now, just uh, again, to be clear about that trial, the, the pornographic, the, the evidence that uh, that one of the children had pornographic material on his phone wasn't part of the trial because the judge said that they, that you couldn't make a connection, mm. a, a sufficient connection between what was on the lad's phone and uh, and the events that were the subject of the murder trial. So they, they're not connected in that way. But the level at which pornography was available on uh, that child's phone was just another wake-up call if we needed it, and it seems we did need it, that children are accessing dark, horrible pornography. They are not just 
looking, you know, at somebody else's body, just in, in the way that young people would be curious about things. Uh, that, that some of the pornography that children have access to is deeply disturbing for anybody. Uh, and so there is that piece around how do we, how do we even talk to our young people how do we get them to understand that this is not reality uh, and, and that it's actually exploiting somebody else a lot of the time as well? For instance, it is, it is interesting how, how little we hear about the fact that downloading pornography around children is a criminal offence. You know, mm. if children are involved in, if it is child pornography, as it's called, it is child abuse and it is a criminal offence. So there is... So there's something about them having a better level of respect and understanding about sexual relationships. That's not happening at the moment. And we can certainly see through, you know, so many ways and certainly in the rape crisis centres and in sexual violence court, they will definitely see the harm that's done where this is the only knowledge that children have. I do recall one of our volunteers going into a school one day talking about consent activities and somebody saying to her, but miss, don't girls always say no when they mean yes. You know, it's just oh, like the, the kind of ideas that get into people's heads are through what they see, what they read, what they hear. We are all affected by what we read on the internet. Why do we Google things? Because we want answers. Yeah. And often we believe the answers simply because they're on the internet. How much more that is for the case of a child who's developing, sharing it with other people, maybe sharing it with children who are more vulnerable. So we have to give them the better filters, the better ways of understanding what relationships are about because of the dangers that are associated with their own development, let alone with how they treat other people. Okay, good advice as always, Nolene. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is Nolene Blackwell, who is with the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Tom and Carrick Tool says, if the British have put this on hold, it's pointless here to wait and see what they are doing. Well, that's what Leo Radker has said. He wants to wait and see, give it a year, I think it was what he was saying. I mean, the the UK government are also... are already, as Nolene pointed out, coming up with problems uh, about what they're trying to put in place. And I mean, one of them was they're not going to be able to force the large social media companies. It'll only be the commercial companies, uh, which Nolene outlined. But Leo Varadkar yesterday speaking in the the doll sort of said, well, let's take a look. Let's follow what's happening in the United Kingdom. Let them bed it down for a year. And then if it works for them, we'll look at it here. But as of now... It is uh, children of any age can access uh, pornography, I suppose. It also goes back to as parents, do we need to know what our children are doing? What sites are they accessing? And it's only a parent who really scrutinises a young person's phone or tablet on a regular basis and has all their passwords will know for sure, for sure, for sure what a young person is or isn't accessing. And even then, they'll probably, there's such technical whiz kids, they'll probably find a way around that as well. This is the Court Today replay on C103. I'm going to Bandingar, the station where I'm joined by Sergeant uh, James O'Donovan. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. And you are welcome. We start with uh, looking for help to do with burglaries. The Rathcool area of Mallow, and this was earlier this month. That is correct, Patricia. There, We're looking for um, a bit of assistance from the general public there in relation to a burglary that took place in the area that you outlined between the 8th and the 11th of June 
2019. A number of construction tools were taken from the, I suppose, the, the place that was targeted. And if we could ask people to think back and if they saw anyone acting suspicious or a suspicious car, to contact the Gardaí and Mill Street Garda station with that information. Okay, and these are the type of tools that more than likely go on for resale somewhere? That, that is correct. Um, I suppose these houses and are being targeted because it's quick sale items that are being taken and they're just, just taken to other areas of the country and sold on fairly rapidly. And again, any information that we get from people in relation to people even acting suspicious a week before uh, maybe a crime or if there's people that they don't I suppose we are very good at getting a gut feeling here in, in, in Ireland that if, we, if, just, if you have that gut feeling about a person that shouldn't be there, ring the Gardaí and we'll be able to follow up on it. And then Chapel Hill area of McCroom, there was a burglary. Yes, on the 13th of June 2019, between 5pm and 5.30pm, a very short window of 30 minutes, um, a house in the area of the Chapel Hill area of McCroom was targeted. Um, again, we're asking for people if they saw anything suspicious around that area. I suppose it's it's hard to ask people can they remember back to 30 minutes but you never know someone might remember driving through that area at that time to contact the Gardaí in McCroom. Okay, from burglaries to some theft starting off with a theft of diesel. Yes, uh, again a very short window of an hour on the 8th of June 2019 uh, between 3pm and 4pm in the Nakshanawi area of Farnans in Crookstown. Um, diesel was removed from a track machine that was being used. Obviously, the owner went away and left the site for an hour. When he came back, the diesel was taken from the machine. Um, we are asking people if they saw anyone in that area. Maybe they would have had to have a car or a vehicle in that area, and they would have been seen at that track machine just to, to contact the Gardaí in Crookstone or McCroom. OK, and that was on the 8th of uh, June to the 14th of June. And we're back with, again, half this term of const- again of construction tools. Yes, again, look, they, they seem to be targeted at the moment. Uh, and in fairness to this, the owner, they had a temporary container and they had the lock. They, they took all the steps, really. This was a container that was targeted specifically for the construction t- tools. It happened overnight on the 14th of June, I suppose, between 12.30 a.m. and 7.30 a.m., so... Again, I suppose it's unique that the traffic would be light in that area of Ballahassig. But we're again, people might have been coming back from the airport or heading into Cork City just to contact the Gardaí here in Bandon uh, with any information that they might have of suspicious activity on the 14th of June in Ballahassig. Now, I always hate to hear of antisocial behaviour or criminal damage because it just seems so pointless. And you have a case of uh, criminal damage that happened at Clash of, the Clash of Free area of Bandon. Yes, this was a particularly nasty one, really. A good, a good bit of considerable damage was done to uh, two cars in the Clash of Free area of Bandon on the 7th of June. Uh, people woke up the following morning and there was tyre slashed, windows broken and paint damage to the body of, the, of both cars. Again, people, I suppose, people that are committing this damage, it's nearly the lowest form because people wake up in the morning thinking they're going out on an ordinary day's work and they see that their mode of transport has been pretty much destroyed. And it does cost an awful lot of money to get paint work done on the body of the car and even tyres to be replaced and windows to be replaced. We're asking people that if they saw anyone on that morning of the 7th of June to contact the Gardaí in Benton, anything would, might be helpful of people who may be coming back from a pub or socialising that might have seen someone acting pretty suspiciously around the area or maybe running from the scene to contact the Gardaí here in Benton. Well, it's just such a mean-spirited and nasty thing and it's just, it's just meaningless, it's just pointless and meaningless. It's just, it's, it's horrible and, and the sooner we get an, an end of it, yes, uh, the better. 
and the knock-on effects are huge because yeah. it's let alone people around your your property, but it's your mode of transport. It affects your day's work. It affects you mentally. Then, and you're you're wondering are you being targeted and stuff yeah. like that. And, and it's a horrible feeling for the injured party to have. Okay, there's a change scam that you want to talk to us about. Yes, I suppose this is just general advice for all retailers across the division, and uh, indeed anyone else that's listening. I suppose with the start of the summer months, a lot of the retailers might have younger staff in. Um, they would be finished school they might be getting a bit of work experience they mightn't have the experience of dealing with people that are carrying out these change scams I suppose what we're doing is we're hi- highlighting the, the um, to the retailers to maybe have a training uh, exercise with the staff that you know highlight the, that there is steps to be taken in relation to people asking for change or they're returning goods to make sure that those goods have been paid for in advance I know that there was one in particular that um, uh, a gallon or a couple of gallons of oil was refunded when they they were just picked up off the counter there and then and it was a younger member of staff was caught they just weren't aware of it mm. so we're asking all retailers really when they are taking on new staff to sit down with them go through uh, a couple of items that need they need to be aware of and if they want any assistance that they can contact the crime prevention office here in Bandon and make arrangements and I can call to those particular retailers and give advice yeah, because we often hear it's 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 a kind of a confusion one where somebody will come in with a 50 euro note looking for it to be broken down yes. and changed and then everything gets confused and they yeah. want it back again and before you know it they, they're gone and you're out of pocket exactly and I, look again I suppose it's it's nearly the, another low form of crime I suppose all crime is low but this, they're targeting younger members of yeah. staff they, they might be nervous they could be a big crowd in, in a queue waiting and all of a sudden you have that younger member of staff or any other member of staff getting nervous and they panic and just to keep the queue moving they nearly give it just to get them out of the way and all of a sudden then you could be down 100 or 150 euros straight away and if that happens two or three times in a week in any particular um, retail you're, you're down a considerable amount of cash so I suppose Whereas we're asking all people to be mindful of it. Again, younger staff that are in for the summer that might be just finished school or back from college and they're back in their jobs just to sit down with them and have a chat and make them aware of those uh, types of crimes that might be happening. And the they'll often target at like close of business, you know, yeah. when they know people are under pressure, oh, trying to get out, trying to get the place closed up, trying yeah. to get the tills done. Uh, and they'll know that you might be, you know, that you just want them out of the shop quickly. So just be aware of that. Exactly, indeed. Okay, um, it's holiday season and all of that and a lot of people are going away. Check your passports. Yes, we've had a number of people ringing the, you know, all Garda stations across the division there in relation to passports. I suppose ju- we're just trying to get the message out there. Uh, if Check your passports in time when you're, when you're booking your flights that they're, they're all in date. Um, over the last week, a number of weeks, we've had people come in saying, oh, can you do anything for us? My passport is out of date and they would be flying the following morning at 7am. Oh. Unfortunately, there isn't anything we can do but I suppose there is the passport number that you can contact in case there is something the passport office can do. But I do know that uh, en route to work yesterday morning that the passport office were doing a segment. And I think it's important that even from ourselves that we need to get the message out there for people to check their passport, ensure that their passport is safe with them on their holidays. And if they need to get it um, redated or reissued, to do so plenty of time in advance of their holiday date. Okay, and it's one of those things you kind of forget a, forget about because it's a 10-year passport and you'll often hear families hearing th- they thought everybody's passport and one person's will be out of date and it can just ruin a family holiday. Oh, completely. Uh, so, so check it in plenty of time. Were you in um, Shannon or Dunebeg for President Trump's visit? No, I no. didn't have the pleasure of visiting the people of, of County Care, but I do know that the, the Guardian West Cork would like to thank the people of Shannon and Dunebeg for their generosity 
And indeed, they're very much kindness to the recent visit of President Trump. It was very bad weather in a number of days, and I know that the locals looked after uh, my colleagues from West Cork, and we just wanted to pass on our note of thanks to any county care person that's resident here in County Cork. Okay, well done, well done. Okay, we'll leave it there, James. Thank you for that. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks. All the, all, the uh, all the best. Bye-bye. That is uh, Sergeant James O'Donnell for joining us from Bandon Guard, the station. And just did a text in and said, Trish, just passed through Mill Street and the hedges and the sides are being cut. Can they do this at this time of year with nesting birds, etc.? And the, we are in this closed season where it's, there's a ban on hedge cutting between the 1st of March and the 31st of August. And the listener is right. It's because of the, they don't want to, the destruction of birds' nests. But I know the council and landowners are entitled, but I think they need to have permission to do it if for some reason they're cutting the hedges because it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous to road users. And God knows we will on this programme hear from a lot of people who ring in and will highlight a particular stretch of road saying that the hedges must be cut because, you know, it's causing people to end up in the middle of the road. So I don't know if that's the situation with that stretch of road that this listener is highlighting passing through Mill Street where the hedges and the sides were being cut whether it is a, a health and safety issue for road users but you are right under the Wildlife Act of 2000 hedge cutting How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Is banned every year between the 1st of March and the 31st of August, so we're right in the middle of that season at the moment. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
Thank you to some people who have been reacting to a text that I read out before 12 from one of our listeners to say, just passed through Mill Street and the hedges and the sides are being cut. Can they do this at this time of year with nesting birds? And they were talking about the Wildlife Act and of course we looked it up and there's no from the 1st of March through to the 31st of August you're not meant to be cutting any of the hedgerows unless it's for a road safety reason well Breda in Mill Street said hi Patricia yes indeed that is work is going on in Mill Street but the hedges are not being cut it's just the verges and the bits where there will be traffic merging so that's been done from a traffic safety point of view and the birds do not nest on the sides and on the verges so there's nothing been done wrong nothing to see here in Mill Street move along while Margaret says Patricia the County Council and the farmers should be well aware that the hedges need trimming well before nesting season began and they should have them all trimmed before the 1st of March no excuses says our Margaret who feels quite cross whenever she sees any of the hedgerows being cut especially at this time of the year I'm assuming she is an animal lover if you are an animal lover and you've got a pet on well get your questions into us 1850 or you can text or WhatsApp your pet questions to 0862103103 Text or WhatsApp now to win your way in to live at the marquee 103103 now, C103. Going to give you about 10 minutes or thereabouts uh, to enter if you want to win Chris Christopherson tickets for next Sunday. You need to text or WhatsApp. Don't call us, just text or WhatsApp along with your name and address. And then we will select a listener who will join me on air, answer a very simple question with regard to Live at the Marquee. And if they have the correct answer, they'll win a pair of tickets to uh, Chris Christopherson. He plays Live at the Marquee next Sunday night but get texting again only, please, if you are able to go to the marquee next uh, Sunday night. That's by text or WhatsApp only 0862 103 103. Let me take a look at some of your calls and texts coming in. I can see some pet questions for Jane. Keep those coming. Actually, just on animals. Uh, Somebody was on to say that a small white Bichon Frise has gone missing from Castle Bernard. Now, Castle Bernard is in Bandon Town. She's wearing a little pink collar and the pink collar does contain a phone number. Now, the problem is that the person who's contacted us, desperate to find this little white Bichon Frise, obviously a much-loved pet, but the person who contacted us is looking after the dog for her owner because her owner is away on holidays. Now, maybe that's the dog has got a bit spooked and doesn't like being in the house that they are because it's not the same and it's all different. Could be something to do with that, but the dog has gone missing. So you can imagine the frantic call we received this morning trying to track down this little dog. So could you keep a lookout, please? Castle Bernard area of Bandentown, general Bandentown area. Bichon freezes. They're small little dogs. I mean, I can't see her getting very far. She does have a pink collar, phone number's on it, but the number we need you to call if you found that dog is 86 0861716906. And I just want to stay on animals for a moment because Mary sent in a text to us and... um in the last hour to say Patricia please help I'm demented and you always kind of get worried when you see a text like that saying I'm demented think God what's happening in poor Mary's life I love gardening but I have a huge problem with and she puts this in big capital letters 
rabbits. Now I've put up wire. I've put, is a creosol on rags? Would you believe they sat on the rags and happily munched away on the flowers? At this stage, I'm actually thinking of moving house. I live, you see, in the countryside as I can't stand it any longer. I'll be ever so grateful for any suggestions from your listeners, please. Thanking you, says Mary. Now, I don't know what part of the county, except it's a rural area that Mary is uh, living in. We have had other calls in from people we a couple of weeks ago we'd calls in from people saying there was no rabbits in their area and then we were working out what was going on there could have been that it was an area that had myxomatosis so the rabbit population is gone but then as soon as we mentioned it we had other areas people ringing in saying oh come to our area we're plagued with rabbits at the moment now the last piece of advice Mary we got was was it last week somebody said that what they heard and they were swearing that this works is to use grated carbolic soap. So you buy your carbolic soap, get your cheese grater out, grate it and you put that down around where the rabbits are, around the plants and the flowers that the rabbits are eating. And I'm assuming it's the smell, is it, of the carbolic soap that the rabbits don't like. But... As I say, a listener sent it in to us last week. I did call it out and I did say to anybody, if you try it, would you let us know if it worked or not? Because the old kind of a wives' tale, because it sounds like one of those old wives' tales that might just work. The other old wives' tale that we had mentioned before and Peter Dowdle, our gardener, had often mentioned it and that was to go into a barber or a hairdresser and you get hair cuttings and you put that around your plants and your flowers that the rabbits are eating. And I mentioned that and I straight away got some calls in from people saying, Trish, that doesn't work. We've tried it, (laughs) including one hairdresser who said I had an amount of it and it didn't work. So that one doesn't seem to uh, work. If you want to give that a try, the grated carbolic soap, it's, it's worth a try. And in the meantime, we'll give it out again to see if anybody else has a suggestion. And if you are a gardener and you love your garden it's yeah it is really really difficult the only other thing I could suggest I mean I hate to think you're going to move house all for the sake of, of rabbits we all we should all be able to try and live in some kind of harmony with the wildlife but when they're taking over like that it's not very it's not very nice and not very fair could you go with plants and shrubs and are there flowers that rabbits don't like I don't know rabbits well enough to know if there's certain ones that they don't like or is there a certain plant that you can plant in the garden that gives off a smell that they might like I don't know I'm just thinking out loud here 1850 if anybody can offer advice to Mary because as I say I'd hate to see her have to leave her home all for the sake of these rabbits but she's absolutely demented uh, with it some of your thoughts coming in on topics we've been addressing in the last hour we were talking about pornography and in particular with regard to under 18s and this has come to light because of the an accretial case and the fact that one of the boys had so much pornography even though that wasn't used in any way in the court uh, at all some of your commentary on that Hi Trish this is Mike in, in Bantry it is simply disrespectful to women to be looking at pornography on your mobile phone or in any of your devices. That's from Mike in Bantry. Pat, when it comes to young people accessing technology, said when all this new technology, i.e. the internet, when it all came in, there were people who knew better at the time, were texting and ringing and talking about the dangers that would come with the internet. But again, along came the old biddies. 
That's their Pat's words, by the way. The ones that didn't want to slap their young fella. And of course, they got their own way. And look at the state we are in now. We were warned that there were dangers associated with the internet, but we didn't uh, listen. And by the way, Pete, I'm not ignoring your text, but because the Anna Creagel case uh, is still a live case and that the sentencing hasn't been passed down, even though they've been found guilty, I can't get into the points that you're making. We one day will be able to, but as of now, I uh, can't. But thank you for your text to 086 103 103. Hi, Patricia. The UK porn legislation that you referenced in your interview in the last hour, as of till today, it's been delayed indefinitely again, mainly due to privacy and data issues, and rightly so. There are lots of internet blocking systems around for parents and the phone shops will even install these apps for you when you're purchasing for your kids. So parents, please, my message to you is act like parents and stop blaming everybody else. And that comes in with uh, best wishes from Gerard. 1850-333-103. Lines are open. Call, uh, you can text 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. To celebrate the fifth annual Yoga Day, which is happening tomorrow, there will be a free yoga event in Bohabui Comprehensive School. It's early in the morning for the early starters. Uh, the yoga is from 6am to 7am. Free singing in the brain workshop will be held in the community room of the Riverview Shopping Centre this afternoon between three and half past four with tea and coffee. It's open to all levels of singing and singing can provide a way with, for dementia and Alzheimer's sufferers to socialise with others along with their carers and friends. You can book a place by calling St Michael's Centre in Bandon 023 8841681. There will be a free talk on sporting communication in or, or in supporting communication in autism at Sensational Kids in Clonakilty. That is happening at half past six this evening. It'll offer useful strategies in supporting the development of communication skills with children on the spectrum. The annual Corpus Christi procession in Mallow takes place after half past seven mass tonight in St Mary's Church. All are welcome to take part. Kildallery Lotto, their next draw for €1,600 will be in Sheehan's Bar. That's tonight. And the Mitchestown Cope Association are holding a fundraising pop-up shop today. It's on now until three o'clock this afternoon in the Forest Hall New Square in Mitchells. And good news that little Bijan Freeze, who went walkabouts while his mammy and daddy are on holiday has been found. <laughs> he got handed into veterinary practice obviously in the Bandon uh, area so he's back home safe and sound and I'm assuming the owner away on holidays is none the wiser. Okay, Chris Christopherson tickets. Chris Christopherson is playing live at the Marquee on Sunday. Noel Brosnan is in Lombardstown. Good afternoon to you, Noel. You're fine, Patricia. How are you? And fine, you, you are a fan of Chris Christopherson? Well, I got to see him Would if I can win the tickets. Okay, and you're, <laughs> and you're free on Sunday night to go? I am, yeah. Well done, well done. Okay, a very quick and simple question for you. We need you to finish the name of this Live at the Marquee Act that performed in 2017. Brian, is it A, Adams or B, Eve? Adams. It is Brian Adams. Well done. Well, you've won yourself a pair of tickets, uh, Noel. Who will you bring with you? 
You know, I'll find someone, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a queue of people. Chris Christopherson has a lot of fans. Listen, I'll, right. pu- I'll put you, stay, I'll just stay there because just jump off. I'll just have a quick word with you just about getting the tickets to you. Right. And enjoy the concert, okay? Okay. Okay, Thank God you. bless. Bye bye, bye bye. That is uh, Noel Brosnan in Lamberstown, our winner, live at the Marquee on a free ticket Thursday. And it continues this afternoon with uh, Nick Richards and again with uh, Martina O'Donoghue. So you have a chance to win throughout the day uh, live at the Marquee. Now the Ironman competition could generate we're told more than 8 million euro for the town of Yall and the surrounding areas. Over 2,500 athletes will be competing in the challenge on Sunday and locals have been preparing for months and months to welcome them to the East Cork town. The race includes a 3.8 kilometre swim at Clay Castle. That then is followed by a 180 kilometre cycle and guess what happens? They end up running a marathon, 42.2 kilometres. It is incredible. Now, our senior news reporter took time out this week to go to Yall. And first, she spoke to Joe, Judy, Judy Ansborough from the Coffee Pot in Yall. This week has been fantastic. We've just had the record world holder female first. She's just about to do her 118th um, Ironman. I said it, we don't know how she got the time. She was just in and she was telling us the atmosphere starting tomorrow is going to be electric like it's really going to kick off tomorrow yes yeah they said all their equipment is coming tomorrow they're from florida and they have 60 on their team coming and they said but all the last couple of weeks between banners and everything going up it's just really starting to kick off it's lovely like what does it mean to the people of y'all to have this event it's an honor it's a real honor and i think if if the weather stays good it will be magical so I'm Declan Byrne, Regional Director for Ironman for UK and Ireland. So Declan, why y'all? Why did you bring Ironman to y'all? Um, y'all has everything that we need to put on a, a really good Ironman, I would feel. You know, we have an excellent swim venue um, out in Claycastle Beach, followed by uh, a fantastic bike course on the, the, the rolling countryside uh, around East Cork. Um, and then a fantastic run course through the, the, the historic town of Yall. So we felt that Yall had everything that we needed to put on an event here operationally, but also we had fantastic support from, from the local council, from Cork County Council, from Sean O'Callaghan, Tim Lucy, and all the team there. And they really, um, working together in partnership with those guys, felt that this was a good place to put on an Ironman. My name's Tony O'Keefe, and I'm from Montreal, Quebec, in Canada. And you've come all the way over here for this Ironman challenge? I have done. And have you taken part in Ironman challenges before? I have. So what's it like? <laughs> well, um, it's a long day that's uh, nicely catered and uh, it's a good way to see different parts of the world, I suppose, yeah. And how did you hear about this one that's taking place in Yall and why did you decide to come over here? Um, I saw it advertised. It's the first one for this area. Um, my family's actually Irish, so I thought it would be a good opportunity to come over and visit. Um, and I'm looking for a spot to go to Kona, so uh, this is nice and nicer and early in the season. This is Clay Castle uh, Takeaway and Beach Shop, and my name's Geraldine. Well, everybody is excited. It's the biggest thing that has come to y'all. I mean, the town is looking fabulous. There's a lot of work being done. Um, as you know, we're right on the beachfront here, so we'll be open at four in the morning, ready for all of them, because the... They have to come down early to bring all their things to the transition area. Okay. So 
So we'll be here tonight, the tea and the coffee. We'll be here, tea and the coffee, chips, burgers, ice creams, whatever they want. We'll be here. (laughs) Whether it's raining or, well, hopefully the sun will be shining. And you're seeing a boost already in the people, in the number of people who are coming here, just with people coming out to practice in the week leading up to the event. Yes, there has been a lot of the athletes around the last few weeks. You'd see the difference and their partners and stuff are around with them, so they come in. And there's fierce excitement about it all. They're it's a great thing for you all, isn't it? To it have is. something like this on your doorstep, it's just brilliant. It is, it's fabulous. It's really fabulous. There's a lot of work being done. Town, as I said, looks great. The buzz is fantastic. Well done. They've put so much work into it uh, in uh, you all as we get into the final few day countdown to the Ironman. Now, Paul Bradley is taking part in the Ironman competition on uh, Sunday and when our Fiona Corcoran went down he had a quick chat with Fiona. A couple of years ago I had a car accident um, seriously damaged my back and through the years I've been getting different procedures and uh, about four years ago there I got surgery and since then I've been kind of working hard to try to build back up with my fitness so I trained there with the lads and uh, they've been pulling me along really you know so uh, I am where I am now so this will be my first big test and why the Ironman Challenge? Why did you want to do this? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I presume, look, it's, it's on our doorstep. It's a massive event. We've done a half Ironman before. Uh, and there's a great buzz. There's great camaraderie with your friends. Uh, and the training is the best part of it because we've, we've had a great, great laugh. Like, you know? And what are you worried about most on Sunday? Or are you worried? I'm worried about all of it. If I was being totally honest, uh, you, you, as you can see there from today, like there's a, a very big, big, very big strong wind there today. So. I'm worried about all of it. Yeah, seeing the finish line. Well done. Can we wish the best of luck to Paul Bradley taking part in his first Ironman competition and all of the rest. Uh, they, they, it's over two and a half thousand people will be taking part, and uh, y'all will be looking and is looking spectacular. But it's all roads will be leading to y'all on Sunday. The best of luck to uh, everyone. Now, a number of people reacting to. Poor old Mary, who contacted us earlier and started her text with, uh, Hi Patricia, uh, I'm demented. I knew then. There's a please help as I'm demented and I knew we had a problem. And there's poor Mary. She's demented from rabbits. Rabbits are just, she's a big gardening fan. She lives in a rural area. She loves getting out and about, pottering around the garden and planting things in the garden. And the rabbits are just destroying everything in sight. She said she describes them happily munching away in her flowers and she was looking for some advice. Now, this is, there's a lot of different advice coming in. So let's just throw them all in and see, can we help out Mary in some way? A listener has said Stockholm tar should help with rabbits. I have no idea what Stockholm tar is, but I do know that Mary in her original text to us said she used, I think it's creosol. I think that's what the word is meant to be on rags but which she was told would work but she said literally the rabbit sat up on the rags looking at her whilst eating the munching away on her uh, flowers now what else came in the bane of my life says Dexter are the uh, rabbits I was told they don't like pineapples so I brought a fresh one oh it's gone Mr Nomino as soon as you got it, I'm after clicking this after refreshing. Sorry, I'll come back to that one. That's a, a, a suggestion around pineapples. I tried everything, says another texture, to deter the rabbits until I used the fresh lawn grass cuttings and I placed that around the shr- shrubs. That worked with 100% success. OK, there's one for Mary. All of the fresh 
lawn grass cuttings put it all around your shrubs another listener says vinegar spray will do for rabbits and believe me it does work okay and I'm assuming anything like that it's to do with the smell, is it? They, they don't like the smell of it. If Mary wants to try that. The pineapple one, bane of my life, and I was told they don't like pineapple. So I bought, I bought a pineapple. I chopped it up. I also used broken egg shells. Hey, presto, they have left my flowers alone. So a combination of chopped up pineapple along with the broken shells. Because I know the broken shells work for slugs. They obviously, according to this listener, they work for rabbits as well. So there's a couple of more suggestions for Mary and by phone. Morris in Roach's Buildings in the City says, big stones are bricks or rocks. Put them around your rose bush. It isn't just a rose bush, but anyway. And then get a big box of pepper. It'll act as a deterrent. He also suggests using the garlic and water. That's like the garlic and water wash for the green flight that Peter Dowdrill talks about. Again, I'm assuming the smell of the garlic, they don't like it. Jonah McCroom was another one suggesting the one we mentioned uh, earlier, the carbolic soap. You use a cheese grater, put it all along the flowers. It won't kill the flowers, but it will. Jonah's saying it will deter the rabbits. So we are getting some people saying that the carbolic soap, which was a new one on me, it's a one we hadn't heard of before, but it certainly came in last week when somebody else was on about rabbits and the destruction that they're actually doing and hi Patricia just to let you know I just drove through Canturk and the pedestrian crossing that you spoke about on your programme on O'Brien Street is being repaired oh happy days that's a few weeks ago at this stage we highlighted that a listener came on to us and was saying how dangerous it was it was one of the lights went wasn't it one of the flashing amber lights went and we were told that they would get working on it so they're there I listen we won't moan let's look at the positive it's been done and that's the main thing and uh, sooner rather than uh, later I can hear people say This is the Cork Today replay on C103 And Mary has been back on to say Patricia thank you for reading out my text about the rabbits I'll report back to you and let you know how it goes so she's taken on board all the suggestions that have come in from many many listeners and she signs it a less demented now uh, Mary hang in there Mary everything will be okay Okay and our resident vet uh, Jane Pickett is with us from the Island World Veterinary Hospital in the market, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Good afternoon to you, um, Jane. You, uh, you're, you're not a gardener, so you... Um I am not a gardener. So, yeah. I must admit, many of the plants that I have in my office, I, I recently did up my own little office inside in the veterinary practice and I decided I'll put some lovely green plants in here now, make it look very nice. I think I've made one survive out of five. Okay, it's so, not my forte. So rabbits eating your... Garden wouldn't annoy I, you. It wouldn't be my area no. of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we've lots of suggestions. Hopefully, hopefully, some of them will work. Okay, let's get straight into questions for you. Starting with some kitten questions. Nicola in McCroom was on early to say, "Question, please, for Jane Yvette. I have four seven-week-old kittens, and I was wondering when will they stop nursing from their mother? I'm assuming we're doing rehoming." Mm-hmm. Pretty soon, I would suspect. Um, if they're nursing from mum. I would suggest that if you haven't already, giving them, let's say, a little food option as well to play around with. So some little kitten nuts softened, maybe. Um, Or there's even kind of tins of weaning food, which are very palatable, tasty things for little kittens to have a go at. It will be a gradual process. At the age of seven weeks, I'd be surprised if they weren't beginning to already investigate other things. So just make sure they have other kitten-appropriate food sources available. And the more they begin to eat and play around with that, the more taste they'll get for that rather than mum. And it's actually quite natural, 
mum after a little while will kind of restrict the access let's put it like that so they'll be more encouraged to eat normal food and it's they'll gradually kind of wean themselves off but just make sure there's lots of kitten appropriate food around okay and my male mature male there isn't an age on this my mature male neutered cat is refusing food this has been going on for the past few weeks he's now looking very thin and scraggy and actually losing fur he was always a lovely healthy cat fed on dried cat food and water with the occasional bit of chicken and rabbit I've tried various types of food Mm -hmm. but he's just now eating tiny bits of some food Seems to have gone very fussy. He doesn't have a cough, doesn't have a discharge, doesn't have tender spots anywhere else in his body. What could be going on? Gone Mm. off his food. This is a big worry. Our our caller hasn't said what age this cat has. Just mature. Just mature. So I'd say he doesn't know the age. It's an older cat, I'm assuming. Kind of in the twilight years. Yeah. That's okay. I would say this is actually a really common presentation with our older cats. Cats, because they're both a prey species, so something that once upon a time in the wild would have been eaten by other animals, but they're also a predator. So they, we classically think of them eating mice, birds, etc. This means that they're pre-programmed in their head to keep themselves looking 100% tip top until they're feeling very unwell. So they're very stoic creatures. Okay, so our little cat might be off his food, but otherwise looking very fine, not kind of giving us many clues, not letting on much um, because in the wild they'd be pre-programmed to kind of put on a brave face um, to make sure that they kind of lived for as long as possible. So cats are particularly challenging. Um, they don't give much away. What I would say is there's probably something deeper going on here. Um, food or a lack of appetite tends to be the first thing to go in our older patients if there's something internal going on. So whether that be an infection or an internal disease. Now, unfortunately, the possibilities are endless. In our mature cats, some of the more common things that can cause weight loss and a change in appetite would be diseases like kidney problems that's really really common in our older cats um, and some other hormone diseases like hyperthyroidism um, there are plenty of possibilities and I think the main thing I would impart in this case is I wouldn't wait any longer mm. I'd go to your best assessment the likelihood is to discover a little bit more information about your cat your vet will do a full physical exam get a really really thorough history because some things might stand out to us as a problem as vets that might not be so obvious at home so some of the more subtle signs so have a good chat with your vet but I think as well this little cat depending on what your vet feels based on the examination might need some blood tests just to kind of elucidate a little bit further what the problem might be so I would say I would definitely say it's a cause for concern visit your vet and think act and I think that's a good word of advice for any any, any cat that goes off their food because mm. you know dogs might go off food for a day or two and then they'll bounce back and they'll be exactly. fine exactly it's, <laughs> it's very unusual in, in, in a cat Absolutely. and if it is something like kidney complaint for example I had a, my sister had an old a real old cat I mean mm-hmm. she used to be about 19 in the end a big white Persian mm-hmm. uh, uh, the nastiest cat under the sun. <laughs> looks beautiful but really nasty really nasty personality yeah and uh, she ended up getting kidney problems yes. at about 13, 14 mm-hmm. went on a special diet bounding around the place and it was perfect yeah you know, you know, so I mean there are there are things to be done I know people get panicked and spooked yeah. if it's an older animal that you've been that's the thing there's plenty of things you can do and the one word to the wise I'd say is if you have an older patient particularly let's say on a cat I'd class an older patient as anything over the age of 10 yeah 8 to 10 in a dog depending on the breed like larger breeds I'd say five or six would be getting on um, the smaller breeds eight or nine I would say for our older geriatric patients 
a yearly blood test is no harm. It's very much like ourselves going to the doctor for a checkup. Um, it catches issues early, which means that the earlier we can find issues in our dog and cat patients, the much easier they are to deal with, mm. the more informed we are and the better the outcome is for the pet in question. So I wouldn't be afraid of finding out what the problem is. Yeah, I think it can be. Yeah, you, you, can, you can deal, deal with, with this. OK, this is from Breatha, the her... Just the vet about my little, this is another older dog. We've got all the old dogs today. 15 year old. It is, she's a Shih Tzu Jack Russell mix. Um, she's been on medication for a few years. Uh, there's a heart tablet. There's a couple of other tablets, a mm-hmm. fortifier mm-hmm. and a vet medin yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, she needs to, to take it. But the problem Breather has is, is trying to get the dog to take it whenever she takes ah. she takes it. The gag reflex comes in and she can actually be sick. Okay. Any suggestions, please? This can be really difficult and particularly heart patients are actually one of the most difficult because by the nature of their disease, they do tend to be on quite a few tablets to balance things out. And it's really important. Each little component of treatment is really important. So it's it's quite difficult to minimise the amount of tablets, mm. particularly for our heart patients. I, I assume that our owner has probably tried all the usuals, like wrapping it in something very tasty or hiding it in a monk's food. Um, it can be very difficult. I know there are some really interesting things on the market now that are worth a try but don't suit every dog or cat they're kind of specially formulated super smelly mouldable pastes that you can put around tablets so that you can kind of encase the tablets inside and it's almost like a little sphere as it were yeah. so you can seal it up really well and sometimes that hides hides the smell and taste a little bit better for a particularly suspicious patients and they tend to be the ones that are unfortunately on long-term medication that become a bit wise to it for heart patients in particular, sometimes, depending on the size of the tablet, you can actually get little gelatin capsules. If you imagine capsules that you get from the doctor, you know, like the, the ones that have two little halves that come together, you can actually get plain ones of those that sometimes, let's say, for example, my small dogs and cat patients that might struggle with taking tablets and they might be on four or five tablets, I'll break all of those up and put them into one capsule so that instead of having to take four or five tablets all in a row, it's one bigger tablet. And mm. sometimes that suits a little bit better so you could have a word with your vet about whether that would be an option given the size of the tablets concerned there are also other options with some of the drugs that I expect our patient to be on so the, the water tablet frusamide is one of the most common things that our heart patients would be on and that's to do with a build up of fluid when the heart isn't working very well the heart's just like a pump and when the pump stops working the, the fluid uh-huh, builds yeah. up in different places yeah. that can come in different ways so we can even use let's say a syrup it comes in a syrup form rather than a tablet and sometimes okay. that suits patients better than the tablet or even depending on how you feel about things and how your vet feels about things and let's say uh, how uh, how stable your patient is at home have a chat to your vet about whether maybe even injections will be possible because I, I have the occasional little cat who's not fond of tablets and I've, I've trained their owner to give injections instead uh, and that can suit really well I think there will be a way forward and I think the important thing is not to give up particularly with our heart patients because these are daily tablets aren't these they, will be yeah. daily and to be honest with some of them they will be twice daily so it's yeah. a massive commitment and all I can say is well done for taking it on yeah, you'll be well really done. doing the best well, by your well pet done. and Sheila says uh, hi Patricia and Jane my 14 year old Jack Russell has developed a sort of a cough Mm -hmm. it sounds almost like she's clearing her throat her throat you think she's about to vomit but she never does Mm -hmm. she's been wormed recently with Milbimax Mm -hmm. worm tablet Uh, could she have a lung worm or a heart worm she does diagnosing herself so 
there is a number of things that could be going on here. I think well done for doing the Milbamax. Um, it's a good product and it does cover for lungworms. So as long as it's been done recently, I think that's less likely unless you, you live in a, an area that it's particularly rife, which in Ireland it's not. It's quite a rare thing yet at the moment. Heartworm um, in the classic sense, so worms that live in the heart. Um, they're not actually in this country yet, thankfully. It's something that, that tends to happen in the US, so I think that's less likely. Now, an older Westie coughing, there are a number of diseases that could cause a cough that looks almost like we're about to vomit. Sometimes it can be something as simple as the windpipe becoming a little bit more sensitive with age because we know that our windpipe, which is kind of held together by little rings of cartilage and is quite flexible really, can sometimes become a little bit stiffer with age and that's really common and that can cause a little bit of irritation and a cough. Which would lead to the cough, Exactly. Yeah. There are other things, particularly with little Westies, they do suffer from a particular type of lung disease where the lung just becomes a lot less flexible itself and it can be quite progressive and lead to quite a nasty cough and that's something more to be managed over time. Um, there's plenty of other options, whether it be just something, you know, once in a blue moon, like a little bit of an infection or a kennel cough, that's an option as well. I think really to know a little bit more, you'd need to visit your vet for a full examination. They'd be able to narrow down the options a little bit better and perhaps do some investigations, whether that be an X-ray of the chest if they feel it's appropriate or may or may not be needed or even sometimes coughs can be caused by heart disease so maybe a heart scan um, but they'll be able to guide you best but I think if you've noticed it and it's beginning to bother your little dog which it sounds like it might be I think visit the vet and act and again we're back because it's an older dog yeah. as, as well Helen Balancolic has a dog it's Jack Russell Terrier um, who appears to be have gone hard of hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's only around eight years of age, so Helen says he's not an old dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're roaring his name now, but he tends to not hear us. Mm, this is an interesting one. And actually, I can identify with this very, very well. One of my selective old... deaf, deafness? Well, I don't know. One of my own dogs at home, Sherry, she's a little red setter. God, she must be well into her teens at this point. She's as deaf as a post. Okay. So she is. And it happened quite gradually. So I can empathise with so your frustration happen. here. It does It does, absolutely. But what I would say is there's some important things to rule out. I would just make sure that let's say there's not some ear disease going on something simple to cure like let's say a waxy build up in your ears that can sometimes block the sound waves so visiting your vet just to get them to check the ears out and make sure there's no problem with wax or infection but what I would say is testing whether a patient is deaf or not is currently very challenging with humans sometimes they'll do response to sound and they can do some incredibly clever things as far as I'm aware to test your level of hearing at different frequencies now this is available well it's available with dogs but it's very difficult to do because you can't say yeah I can hear that Um, so it's it's based more on let's say examining the brain and that's quite a difficult thing to do so it's not widely available so it, it tends to be more ruling out the other simple to simple to solve problems and accepting that they seem to be functionally deaf now i wouldn't say it's the end of the road by any stretch very much like anything else age comes to us all it's adapting your kind of behaviour around her, her and your behaviour around the house so if you know she's deaf it's kind of approaching from the side and kind of making yourself Don't obvious with her, a bit yeah. more kind of waving of the hands um, and you need kind to be careful when gently. you're out because of traffic she exactly. won't, won't hear so traffic she won't be particularly aware of traffic and mm. noise if you think about yourself if you were deprived of that sense when you were crossing the road it would be really really challenging um, so I would say I would make sure she's really secure doesn't have free access to a road or anything like that and is on the lead 
when she's out and about because I suppose God forbid any kind of accident would happen that would be really heartbreaking particularly in a, in a loved family pet so it's really just adapting and you will get and, quite and the dog it. the dog will adapt as well will the they will because obviously the hearing loss is gradual yeah and I think we we don't give dogs and cats enough credit they're incredibly resilient adaptable creatures much more so than ourselves they're incredible and they really do adapt very very well um certainly in the initial period you can help them out an awful lot just by you know moving towards their side not sneaking up on them etc yeah. um, just giving them lots of notice so that but they, they will they be, okay. They'll be okay well I've just seen literally a call just in from uh, Rita her dog is after getting what she believes could be a, a bite from a rat oh okay should she go to the vet straight over yeah, that yeah I probably would do um, bites from rats are rare but they can happen she's in the city yeah rats can harbour a lot of interesting diseases that we don't normally see in our dog and cat and it would probably be best to visit your vet does um, a rat well, yeah, of course if you corner a rat yeah I mean, rats, you, yeah, rats <laughs> usually will run like, a bit of generally day. yes I suppose if you've actually seen that it is a rat bite and you've seen it yeah. happen then I would definitely tell your vet I know it's a rat bite yeah. but if let's say you're uncertain and it maybe just looks like some teeth marks the possibility is it could be another creature whether that be another cat I, or I've dog I've just seen the information coming it's yeah. on his back it's on his back that would be a little bit unusual, I suppose, unless it was an incredibly small dog. The the rat would have to do one hell of a leap to get yeah. to that area. But it's it's possible, definitely. I would say visit your it's vet for some attention. Sorry, it's a terrier. For it's a terrier. Ah, okay. oh, that's grand. I think visit your vet for some attention, just to, be on the safe just side. to make sure everything's okay. They might well prescribe some medication if they feel yeah. it's appropriate. I just the minute I saw a rat, I was yeah. saying, uh, we'll do something there. Okay, listen. Thank you for that. Have a lovely week, and we'll chat again next week. That's Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street. A veterinary group. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Record today on C103.